This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everyone. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends. I'm Alicia. Thanks for joining us today for two brand new Trashy Divorces going into the lexicon. This week, we're pulling it together using the title from one of my favorites from the legendary singer-songwriter John Prine, Speed of the Sound of Loneliness is our theme song this week. And we have two very different... There's some through lines. Definitely some through lines. Tell us about your subject this week. I mean, between our two titles, admittedly, you're probably, listeners, not tuning in for my story if you've (laughs) read the headline. It's, It's good. It's fascinating. Maybe you're not as familiar with Uget Clark, but this week I'm bringing you the story of a Gilded Age heiress that nobody knows much about. She has that much money and dolls and properties that it is... It's a fascinating story. Speed of the sound of loneliness, mm-hmm. for sure. Stacy, this week you're bringing us... I am bringing us what feels like an increasingly dangerous situation in the celebrity divorce of... Kim and the artist formerly known as Kanye, yay. There are some themes in this. There is behavior that looks exactly like stalking, harassment, cyberbullying, gaslighting, intimidation, threats. So if, I don't know, if these are triggers for you, I think if these are triggers for you, you are acutely aware of what is happening right now. But I get us all up to speed, a little background There's a little warning. Be sure to protect your own heart with how you need to for your story. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, before we begin our episode this week, let's pull out this glorious magic mirror and give some big thanks and praise to our new Patreon supporters who've joined us over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Thank you so much to Sarah L, Caitlin D, Santiago W, Lola C, and Amber. All those folks are getting ad-free early episodes and dumpster dives and spider webs. We're in the middle of our trashy Romanoff series. We have two new super supporters to shout out as well. Amanda L. and Tabitha L. Thank y'all. All of y'all so much. Thank you, everybody, for coming back and tuning in to this episode of Trashy Divorces. We're so happy you're here. What, what should we do now, Alicia? We gotta go, go, go. Hi, Alicia. So you're bringing us a different kind of trashy divorce today? I am a little bit in contrast with yours. Yes. I know a lot of our listeners are super into the Gilded Age series that's been happening. You've caught up on Done and Done and my New York Society stuff. Today I am bringing you the tragic tale of the Gilded Age goddess that you may have never heard of who broke the speed of the sound of loneliness. Hmm. I would like to introduce you to Uget Clark. How is that spelled? H-U-G-U-E-T-T-E. Okay. Uget. Only one trashy divorce, but a hell of an interesting life. Let's get into it. Uget Clark was born June the 9th, 1906 in Paris, Hmm. Paris, France. She's the youngest child of Senator William Andrews Clark, 
who will build a fortune large enough to make him one of the richest men of the Gilded Age. Wow. The bulk of Uget's father's fortunes were made in copper mining, railroads, and banking. Daddy Senator William Mm -hmm. and his brother are the first developers to begin developing Las Vegas. Mm. They both laid the first railroad tracks into Nevada. Wow. They will then form the Las Vegas Land and Water Company, which places Mm -hmm. infrastructure in the city. They will then sell 2,000 acres, which is mostly what the Las Vegas area started out as today. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. But old Daddy William Senator, shortly after selling Las Vegas, uh, he will relocate to Manhattan, where he would arguably become the gaudiest robber baron of the Gilded Age. He will build an enormously large and ostentatious mansion at 962 Fifth Avenue, and it brings an immense amount of criticism and ridicule. Hmm. It is the largest single-dwelling family home in the city. It is six stories. It has over 120 rooms. It's considered... It's a hotel. It's a hotel. Why do these people keep building hotels and calling them homes? Okay. They don't call them robber barons for nothing. I mean, did he have like, I don't know, 80 kids? Like what? We're going to... He's kind of trashy. Hold on. Let's get into it. Okay. So the home is considered gaudy from the very beginning. But unlike many of his other counterparts, Astros or Rockefellers, Vanderbilts, He doesn't really care what other people think of him. He doesn't even ask the architect to include a ballroom. Remember, we've talked about Mrs. Astor and like the ballroom is the most important thing you'll do in your house. Daddy Senator doesn't build one because he has no intention of entertaining people he doesn't like. But he needs 120 rooms. He needs a lot of room for his very vast art collection. Oh, I see. These are not, it's not 120 bedrooms. It's 120 rooms total. Total rooms, okay. correct. So like three bedrooms, two baths. When William Clark dies in 1925, his funeral is held at the mansion. He leaves a fortune approximately in those dollars, $250 million. This would be about $4 billion today. Now, dividing up the money was a little bit complicated. Because William Clark had two sets of children from two marriages. He married his first wife, Catherine, in 1869. They had seven children together. Two of those children, sadly, do not live past infancy, and another dies at the age of 16. But four of those kids from first marriage of Catherine were still alive when their father died. William's first wife, Catherine, dies in 1893. He will marry again in 1901 to a woman, this is fun, who had been his teenage ward (laughs) named Anna Eugenia LaChapelle. At the time of this marriage, Anna is 23, William is 62. Perfect. Now, the added complication in this one is no one witnesses the wedding. (laughs) The couple says they, uh, the couple say they got married in France. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) there's a lot of speculation that, in fact, they were never legally married. Record keeping at the time was so, you know. Shoddy. (laughs) So the couple, Anna and William, do have two daughters. The first, Louise, in 1902, and you get in 1906. 
Now, sadly, Louise dies from meningitis when Mm. she's 16. But Daddy William donates 135 acres, I love this story, to the Girl Scouts (laughs) to make a camp in honor of her Hmm. after her death. The camp in Briarcliff Manor is named Camp Andre Clark after Louise's middle and last names. So going back to 1825 and dad dying, this leaves a $250 million fortune to be divided among his second wife and his five surviving children. Now here's a fun little fun fact. Clark's will directed that his art collection should be given, given to the Metropolitan Museum of Art with some serious stipulations. First of all, he insisted that the vast collection remain entirely together in a separate gallery with his name. Oh, my God. And they must remain on display this way forever. In a move that would have completely shocked the egotistical Clark, the Metropolitan Museum of Art said, no thanks. Wow. They turned their, because of the stipulations, Mm -hmm. they turn it down. Don't want it. That's unexpected. Which yeah. is, I mean, it is an, it's a pretty immense mm-hmm. collection. Power move. Well, the art collection was then offered to the Corcoran Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., where William had actually served as a trustee from 1914 until his death. His heirs sort of ease up on the restrictions and conditions, and the Corcoran Gallery agrees to accept the collection. Nobody wants his art. Turns out nobody wants the elaborate and gaudy mansion either. (laughs) They have problems selling this home. He used to refer to it as the most remarkable dwelling in the world because it had been built so thoroughly and specifically to meet his direct tastes and needs. But there's no ballroom. (laughs) Yeah, but it's so large that it's too expensive to operate. Mm -hmm. The property assessor said... It's fit for only one owner. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. And he he kicked the bucket. And he's dead. So although Clark spends almost $10 million building this mansion and ends up selling for three. Can you imagine? Now, that money was divided amongst his children. They will also hold an auction of furnishings and other items in the home, including trimmings and fixtures, which nets them about another half million. Would have been like six million in today's money. So this is a guy who just attached an enormous price tag to himself. And when it came down to it, he just wasn't worth that. Let me tell you about the sad tale of the magnificent pipe organ, which is in the home. There is a pipe organ installed throughout the home, which is worth like Mm $200,000. The real estate developer who is overseeing the demolition asks if he could take it. Like, I want it for my home or my church or it's a pipe organ, for God's sakes. And right. The record company's like, you can have it for a cigar. Wow. So the pipe organ was not able to be removed from the marble walls of the mansion intact. So it was eventually used <laughs> as a dump, as a filler for a swamp in Queens. They just took it out and made it material to live at the bottom of a swamp in Queens. Oh my God. So the developer, unfortunately, wasted a good cigar. A pipe organ swamp filler. Trashy divorces takes you on a real ride. That's all I'm saying. In the summer of 1927, just two years after his death, the Clark Mansion was demolished. His was not the only one for all of my Dun and Dunners and old high society people. 
The Manhattan palaces of both Vincent Astor and the Vanderbilts were also being torn down to make way for the next wave in architecture. Just amazing. I mean, just the succession of fabulously rich people. Well, what I'm trying to tell you about 1927, the Gilded Age is becoming a thing of the past. Gilded Age, out. Getting pretty close. Although Uget was almost 20 years old at the time of her father's death, she and her mom continue to live together even after they vacate the gaudy, ostentatious mansion. They will move into a luxurious apartment right down the street at 907 Fifth Avenue. Probably much more manageable. Well, it's on the 12th floor. It has a magnificent view of Central Park and the quickly growing Manhattan skyline. Uget, at this point, is already a very talented artist and would use this view to inspire much of her painting work. Now, shortly afterward, Anna, Uget's mother, will also take on an equally sumptuous apartment on the building's 8th floor. Why do mother and daughter need two different spots in the same building? Well, their long-term plan is Anna is able to continue her hobby of shopping for new furnishings and artworks, and Uget has a place to find a husband. <laughs> so, and Uget's got 50 million bucks in inheritance and $1927. It's not going to be hard to do. Uget is introduced as a debutante into New York society in December 1926 as the most prominent, eligible, and wealthiest debutante, mm-hmm. hands down. Her father's estate had already been settled. Check. Nothing tied up in illegal. Uget is rich and attractive, and she's 20. Unsurprisingly, she is, of course, the center of attention. Uget has been educated at the Spence School and remains close friends with several other alumni, and she actually spends a lot more of her time entertaining and going to lunch with them and all of her friends than she does finding a husband. There's probably no real rush because with that much money, is she less eligible at well 30? I mean, she may be in love mm-hmm. or at least infatuated with a man named Tade Sitka, who is her painting instructor. Gotcha. Sitka is not a suitable match for Uget. A marriage between the two of them never would have been allowed by her mother or society. So Uget, uncomfortable with the glare of the limelight and uninterested in dating suitable men, she will shy away from it whenever possible to choose to focus on her art and her lady friends. However, the pressure to marry was building. Mm -hmm. And she feels that choosing a husband now would allow her to get on with the business of her life instead of The constant speculation about who is she going to be seen with or who is she dating or, oh, are they engaged? Like, this is press fodder. She's Mm -hmm. the richest heiress in the world. Sure. So in December 1927, New York society was enthralled when an engagement was announced. The future groom was William McDonald Gower, a man Uget had known since childhood. He's a graduate of Princeton University He is the son of one of her father's accountants. He was a law student at Columbia Hmm. at the time of their engagement and was working as a clerk on Wall Street. There are signs that this was potentially an arranged marriage or the groom was chosen by Uget's mother in order to quickly marry off her quiet, somewhat socially awkward daughter. It is also likely that the marriage was encouraged to squelch any rumors of her involvement with her art teacher. Hmm. 
got to keep those headlines down, I guess. Well, I mean, the whole thing could have been entirely Uget's choice, too, but it's not a decision based on romantic love, instead on practicality, which isn't uncommon in wealthy yeah, families. Yeah. Uget and William have a private wedding held at the Clark Summer Home in Santa Barbara. This place is enormous. It is called Bellos Guardo. It is gorgeous. It's remarkable. The wedding happens August 18th, 1928, and very few details are released to the papers. When you hear for high society people, your name is in the paper three times. Birth, wedding, death. Uget gets a little bit more just because of her elder age controversies, but wow. In fact, the Santa Barbara newspaper could not find any news of the wedding to report. So Santa Barbara newspaper reports the morning of the marriage. Miss Clark and her mother have been at their Santa Barbara home, Bellos Guardo, since their return from Europe early this summer and have taken an active part in the summer social life. The wedding will be extremely quiet because <laughs> they don't even have any news about it. Hmm. The couple will honeymoon in Hawaii, accompanied by Uget's governess, Madame Sandri. Now, Uget and Bill were surprised and cornered by newspaper photographer for whom they pose with awkwardly. Then Uget was photographed alone. She is visibly uncomfortable. She's clutching her handbag super tight, wearing diamond and emerald bracelet. She's avoiding eye contact with the camera. This photo is the last photograph the public world would see of Uget for the next eight decades. Wow. She's never, for eight decades, she's never photographed again to appear in the press. Okay. That's how much money they have. Upon returning to New York City after the honeymoon, Uget and William begin living the society life everyone expects. They have a box at the Metropolitan Opera. They purchase items for their luxurious apartment. They enjoy extravagant meals and shopping trips. The New York Herald will write, No married couple has ever started married life under more brilliant auspices. But within nine months, Mm -hmm. da-da-da, the couple had split. Wow. Bill moved back in with his parents on Park Avenue, and no one knew what happened. Naturally, the newspapers are having a field day trying to figure out the state of the Clark-Gower marriage. One typical newspaper headline from that time reads, why America's $50 million heiress cast off her $30 a week Prince Charming. Oh my God. Many folks blame the groom. Some other folks say, Uget likes art and he likes finance. They don't really have anything in common. Uget's half-sibling story was that Uget didn't want what marriage implied physically. This was also a story told in a salacious biography of William A. Clark and his family written in 1939. The author writes, Uget refused to consummate the marriage. It is impossible to say if the author had any credible sources to back up this claim, but he may have been correct. Seventy years later, Uget's nurse would ask her about her short marriage, and Uget said, It didn't stay long. On my honeymoon... I have to go home. (laughs) Now, the nurse was an immigrant and spoke in broken English. So even though the summary, that's the summary of Uget's words, the meaning is very, very clear. Mm -hmm. Uget wanted none of that. There is a quick and quiet divorce granted in Reno, Nevada. Of course. I love it. She comes to Reno with her mom 
and like a dozen servants and rents out floors and floors of a hotel for the eight weeks she needs to stay. Once the divorce happens, though, Uget grows more and more reclusive to where eventually she entirely slips away from public view. Hmm. Not much is known about Uget in the years following her divorce. So like by the time she's 25, 28 or whatever, she's just, Mm -hmm. okay. She and her mom continue to live in their Fifth Avenue apartment collecting art. (laughs) Called Grey Gardens. (laughs) Uget loves dolls. They travel a lot, but they maintain a very private lifestyle. Mm -hmm. When Uget's mother dies in 1963, Uget will inherit the Santa Barbara estate, Bellas Guardo. Bellas Guardo is... A smidge under 22,000 square feet. It's a French mansion set on 23 acres high above Santa Barbara's East Beach. Hmm. Uget had not visited the home since 1953. Wow. And when her mother died, she wrote a letter to the staff with two instructions. She insisted that everything was to be kept in first-class condition and nothing was to change with any of the upkeep of the estate or the routines of the staff. Uget will never visit Bello Squardo again and would continue to pay $40,000 a month for its upkeep. What a weird job. Staff at a house that is never... Never has an owner. The staff did what she asked. Nothing was changed. Sure. I mean, they're getting paid. I mean, sweet yeah. job. I'm going to go polish something. Not that anybody will ever see it. Maybe I just don't even polish this particular spot today. Who's going to know? All right. It's, it's just rem- like, yeah. that is how much, don't change a thing. Just keep on going. Yeah. She Gr- never, she does not foot in the home for 60 years. Yeah. Just <sighs> swing by over there and cut the grass. Not that anybody will see it. So Ugat had become extremely eccentric even before the death of her mother. While I appreciate doll collecting as a hobby, Mm -hmm. it's kind of fun. People, you know, like dolls. But this is honestly straight out of a horror movie. (laughs) When the first person other than the staff enters the Santa Barbara estate in 2014, one of the oddities that they find are chairs in two sizes. Full-size chairs for the adults and half-height chairs for Uget's collection of French and Japanese dolls. In the carriage house, there's a 1933 Chrysler Royal 8 convertible and a 1933 Cadillac limousine, both having been meticulously maintained, but not driven. The plates are dated 1949. So just a time capsule. When the empty house, unused for over 50 years, was appraised, it was given a conservative estimate of $85 million. And even stranger, Bella Squardo was not Uget Clark's only empty mansion. Do tell, wow. She lives reclusively in her New York City apartment. She's got numerous other homes throughout the world that she never sets foot into that are all still being maintained and upkept. Uget, for nearly a quarter of a century, lives in that apartment, vanished from society, just enjoying her dolls and their doll houses. She always makes sure they're nicely dressed, her dolls, and their outfits are impeccably ironed. Well, 
Obviously. So she will You order. cannot have disheveled dolls. The woman that doesn't go anywhere orders haute couture. Yes. For herself mm-hmm. and her dolls. And so she will dress herself and then dress her dolls for the day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes matching, sometimes coordinating. Look, a tea party means something. <laughs> tea parties in the Gilded Age used to mean something. Poor Uget. Uget eats mostly crackers and sardines and will spend every day watching her favorite television show, The Flintstones, oh on reruns. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is... So I want you to imagine 30 years of a life like this. Her mom passes away in 63. Okay, so March 26, 1991, going on 30 years later. Uget checks into Doctor's Hospital in New York to be treated for multiple cancerous tumors on her face. She was a sun lover in her younger years, and Uget had serious skin cancer, which she left untreated for far too long. Her facial tumors had actually gotten so bad it became difficult for her to eat. Ooh. Uget's doctors describe her as looking like somebody out of a concentration camp nearly at death's door. Oh, God. She's got, she's tiny already, but her frame is now down to 75 pounds. Mm. And her white hair and steely blue eyes, right, and her face are distorted by the lack of medical treatment. Uget, thankfully, will survive the cancer treatments and returns to good health. So you'd think, after all that, she'd be ready to get the hell out of doctor's hospital, but no. She chooses never to leave. She never goes back to her Fifth Avenue apartment with her dolls and their haute couture or her prized Monet's or Manet's or Renoir's. She will live in that hospital for the next 7,364 nights, abandoning all luxuries that she had enjoyed for her whole life. I, I'm, I don't know what to say. It's a stunning story. It's like the most interesting story you've never heard, right? Yeah. Like you've never heard of Uget Clark. And you're like, what fresh hell is this? I mean, like, maybe she felt like the nurses were an upgrade over the dolls. I... Well, hold on. There is a particular nurse that she okay. grows fond of. Okay. So the room that she'll spend the rest of her days in is on the 11th floor. It has a lovely view of a city <laughs> park. And at first, Uget is uncooperative. A nurse wrote in her chart that she was like a homeless person. No clothes, not in touch with the world, had not seen a doctor for 20 years and threw everyone out of the room. Confused by her situation and unable to get helpful information from Uget, the hospital will assign a social worker to her. The social worker's report states the 85-year-old patient was scheduled for surgery to remove basal cell tumors and to reconstruct her lip, right cheek, and right eyelid. She'll go on to state that she had been managing poorly at home, was reclusive, and had not been eating recently. The social worker further notes that Uget was dehydrated and that her only support system was her friend Suzanne Pierre, her doctor's widow, and a maid. No family helping her with her affairs. So feeling that Uget needed help to recover properly from her treatments and surgeries, The hospital recommends that she go to a convalescent care facility, but Uget refuses. She says that's way too depressing for me. And so the hospital recommends that she move into a hotel with a nurse until she's fully recuperated. (laughs) Under the section of the report where it asks if there are financial problems, Uget's Clark answers, none noted. 
<laughs> Uget does not move into a hotel. She just stays right there in the hospital. And with two months of entering, Uget Clark, Gilded Age heiress, was a tenant of Doctor's Hospital at $829 a day. Wow. Her personal doctor tries to convince her to go home. With assurances, I will visit you every day. We will get you round-the-clock nurses. And Uget says no. She'll bond with one nurse in particular. I mean, Huguette doesn't like new people. She's not an easy patient. So this one particular nurse would end up being Uget's only trusted nurse for the next 20 years. Can you imagine being this, like, I have a 20-year job. When Uget's favorite nurse is not at the hospital, the other nurses actually have to pretend to be on the phone with her just to get Uget to eat or allow them to check her vitals. We've called her on her day off, honey. She Mm -hmm. says it's okay for us to do this. Right. Wow. Meanwhile, the hospital's pulling 20 grand a month or whatever and having, like, as its tenant. (laughs) Hadassah? I hope I'm saying that right. H-A-D-A-S-S-A-H. Yeah, Hadassah. Hadassah. Hadassah would work 12 hours a day, every day, for Uget. She would go several years without taking a day off. Oh, God. Uh Uh-huh. She was gone in the mornings before her children leave for school. She will not come back until their bedtime. She's paid $30 an hour, which totals $131,000 a year. She says, I give my life to Madame. However, Hadassah and her family were the recipient of several generous gifts from Uget, including $450,000 to purchase a house close to the hospital so she could be more available to Uget. She would get $40,000 for Christmas and $40,000 for her husband for Christmas. This is like tipping your doorman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She paid for 20 years of private schooling for... Hadassah's children. She paid for everything. Their medical bills, camps, college, graduate school, vacations, vehicles. In December 2000, she will pay almost a million dollars, $885,000 for an apartment for Hadassah's children. The next year, she'll pay mm, 1.5 mil for a second apartment in that building. So Hadassah could have a nicer view of Central Park. I don't, I don't know what to say here. Uget Clark will die May 24th, 2011, two weeks before her 105th birthday. Jeez. Hadassah is by her side, and in her will, Uget said she didn't make any provisions for any of the members of her family, and then stated, the persons and institutions named herein as beneficiaries of my estate are the true objects of my bounty. So, after the specified amounts were given to charities and other organizations, of Uget's $300 million estate was left for Hadassah. Mm. As you can imagine, after her death, several members of her distant family who didn't have anything to do with her now are contesting her will. 14 of the 19 family members who wanted their share of her money admit that they have never even met her. Wow. (laughs) Ah. The other five of those 19... Had not seen her since 1957. Just, I wonder what the the ethics in nursing. I mean, I I don't even know. I don't know how to absorb all of this. It feels very it's so complex. Much money. It's so much money. 
Well, all of the legal, it was a legal battle. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that on Dumpster Dive this week. We have high dollar art collections. Right. It involves New York society. Anyway, there's a lot of legal, nasty, ugly that happens. But when it's all settled, the family, distant family members in September 2013 will receive about $34.5 million. Which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Hadassah will receive nothing and agrees to return many of the financial gifts that she and her family received. The majority of the rest of the estate goes to charity and a new foundation will begin with the Bello Squardo estate called the Bello Squardo Foundation, which they just had an out-of-control doll auction. I'll <laughs> add that to Dumpster Dive, too. I don't know. Like, we've talked about poor little rich girl, like Doris Duke being just mm-hmm. the saddest. Uget Clark's story is the Gilded Age princess you've never heard of who just broke in the speed of the sound of loneliness. That is such a strange story. I don't know how many trash cans it gets, but there are regular size trash cans. And then for each of those, there's a half size trash can for the doll accompaniment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, way to keep your staff paid for decades, even though you know. I'm a job creator. I mean, regardless of economic conditions. It is such a fascinating story. Y'all, again, all sources are located at TrashyDivorces.com. If you want to do further reading on her. Yeah. She's a fascinating story of something. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with a different kind of. Oh my. A different kind of story this week. See you on the flip, y'all. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you have been thinking about your financial situation, if you've been brewing questions you would like to ask a financial professional, if you would like some guidance on addressing debt, investing, or other general financial organization, then in the immortal lyrics of Amy Ray, I said it's time. Don't assume anything, just go, 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 go. to the oaktreegroup.net. There you will find the contact information for three holistic financial planners that have been working together for over 17 years. Kelly, Eileen, and Ellen will tailor a financial strategy for your unique goals and circumstances. You can also give them a call at 770-319-1700 to schedule your free one-hour consultation. They would never use your years to psych you out. 
Again, the phone number is 770-319-1700, and the website is www.theoaktreegroup.net. Go, go, go. Hey, Stacy, you're back with your story this week, which we have a lot of listeners feeling a lot of different ways about. Not just, I think, for the story that is playing out in real time, but perhaps some... Some triggers. Yeah. Yeah, I I know that many of you, like us, have been increasingly disturbed this week by the social media antics of Ye, the artist and entrepreneur formerly known as Kanye West. He and his ex-ish wife, Kim Kardashian, have been involved in a very public and at times very weird divorce, which Kim initially filed for in February of 2021. In the meantime, there have been costumes, listening parties, bizarre masks having nothing to do with COVID, several girlfriends, and increasingly frenzied statements and actions that, frankly, have us more than a little worried about a massive celebrity trying to harness his online following to punish his estranged wife. is not okay. That's what it appears is happening. That is, yeah, it, yeah. It's, not, it's not okay. Things seem to have been accelerating for Ye since last fall, when Kim began dating SNL funny guy Pete Davidson, and in the last week or so, have really felt like they've reached a boiling point. And what we, the public, are seeing looks terrifyingly too close for comfort for anyone who has been stalked or threatened by an ex. Ye is modeling, in an unfortunately public way, a situation that countless people have been subjected to when an intimate partner will not let go. These are extremely famous people, of course, so I will try to keep the biographical stuff brief but in case you are not super familiar with them, I will introduce them a bit. We did a high-level overview of the Kardashian family back in Season 7. There's a link in the show notes if you haven't heard it. That had a version of the origin story of Kim. So we're going to start with Ye this time. So Kanye Omari West was born June 8th, 1977. He's Gemini. Yeah, okay. Right here in Atlanta, but... He grew up in Chicago, actually suburban Oaklawn, Illinois, uh, after his mother, Dr. Donda West, her PhD is from Auburn, by the way. Oh, really, War Eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, took a job at Chicago State University. She would end up chair of the English department there. It's just remarkable. Very prestigious. Yeah. Ye was a good student and a good kid. And Donda recalled in her memoirs that even on a single professor's income, his parents split up when he was about three. They had a really good life. She said, quote, like my mother, we could stretch a dime. We had such a full and rich lifestyle when we didn't have a lot. There were benefits to being a university professor. Our staying in China for a year was because I was a foreign expert to the People's Republic of China teaching English. Ye was about 10 when they spent a year in China. What an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. Donda was not especially thrilled when her smart, talented, creative son dropped out of college at 20 to be a full-time musician and music producer. But of course, we know now that it was a gamble that paid off. So Ye did the work for sure. He spent the rest of the 90s producing for an increasingly prominent set of other artists, eventually landing at Rockefeller Records in 2000, where he produced Jay-Z's The Blueprint, which is, yep, widely viewed as one of the best hip-hop albums of all time. This opened a ton of doors, as you would expect, and soon he was producing for Ludacris, Alicia Keys, and Janet Jackson. Like, talented. Yep. Talented guy. Yep. All the while, he was shopping for a record deal of his own, but studios weren't sure about his ability to transition from producer to star in his own right. 
Fearing that he would eventually land a contract with another label, Rockefeller agreed to sign him. And then his life changed in an instant. While driving home from a studio one night in October of 2002, he fell asleep at the wheel and crashed head-on into another vehicle. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. His jaw was fractured, requiring that it be wired shut for six weeks. The other driver suffered two broken legs. This near-fatal accident sparked an intensely creative period that led to his quadruple platinum 2004 debut album, The College Dropout. Holy cats. Which opened at number two on the Billboard That's 200. incredible. Mm -hmm. It was a significant departure from the hip-hop sounds of the day, which frequently featured... I mean, we covered Dre last week, right? Like, So the, it frequently featured ruminations on violence and gang culture and... The College Dropout was a socially conscious album exploring faith and family and love and the world we're living in, and it really expanded the hip-hop audience considerably. There's a Vice piece from 2015 where a bunch of reviewers have, like, the definitive ranking of Yay albums, and writer Craig Jenkins says this about it. The College Dropout deserves all the respect in the world as a watershed moment in 2000s rap history where the nerds stormed the school to seize control from the jocks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Should have been an awesome moment, no? Unfortunately for everyone, I mean that from my heart, Ye would quickly reveal another side of his personality when he was nominated for Best New Artist at the American Music Awards in 04. The award went to country newcomer Gretchen Wilson, prompting Ye to storm out of the ceremony, insisting to the Associated Press, I was definitely robbed. I was the Best New Artist this year. I'd forgotten about the Gretchen Wilson thing. It's the the Taylor Swift thing is so emblazoned yes. in There's my mind. So many to get to before that, which happened in '09. I mean, it's. I mean, it sounds like the guy's a real visionary, but also kind of an asshole at award shows. So that was all cool, 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 right? Like, okay, People Magazine notes that he did apologize to Gretchen Wilson later. This kind of also becomes a pattern for him. These little intermittent beefs. But here from our future tense vantage point, we know that this was not an isolated no, incident. It never seems to be an isolated incident. Oh, no. In 2005, at a Red Cross fundraising telethon after the Hurricane Katrina disaster, Ye famously went way off script to rant about then-President George W. Bush, concluding with the immortal line, George Bush doesn't care about black people. I saw that in real time and... In 2006, at the MTV Europe Music Awards, he was nominated in several categories. He won for Best Hip Hop, Best Hip Hop Artist, I guess. Later in the show, the Best Video Award, where he was also nominated, went to a duo called Justice vs. Simeon. I gather Justice are French DJs who had remixed a song by the English band Simeon. So anyway, it was Justice up there. Anyway, this uh, prompted Kanye to pull what we can probably think of as his signature move. Now he pushed his way onto stage, grabbed the mic, and insisted that the only rightful winner can be him. Oh, you can't, dude! And, quote, if I don't win, the award show loses credibility. Oh, really? To their credit, these two French guys <laughs> standing on the stage... <laughs> Kanye West ranting. Good God. They tried hard to humor him during his minute or so long rant, uh, in which he admitted that he had never seen their video. Sure. Of course. So, wow. Hey, here's an idea. Stop inviting Yay to things. But of course, the spectacle is what That's organizers want. Why he gets invited. That's exactly right. Well, plus he's super talented and nominated in multiple. Right. Like it's, it's complicated. 
It's like he's an artist and a critic. So, okay. <laughs> Very strong opinions. In 2007, after winning zero of five categories, he was nominated in at the MTV Video Music Awards. He absolutely lost it backstage and started ranting that he'd never come back to an MTV show again and they should just get Britney. Oh my. There's video of this, obviously. I'm certain there is. Apparently he did not follow through on his promise, which brings us to the extremely famous incident where Ye once again rushed the stage at the 09 VMAs, swiped the mic from just announced best female video winner Taylor Swift and said, Yo, Taylor! I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. This is like one of the most meme things <laughs> this of all is time. This terrible. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. This No shade on Beyonce. Not, it was a good video. No, she comes up a lot in his... That's why you get a bunch of nominees who all have done amazing, amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. The, the choices are hard. It's it, tough It's call. an honor to be nominated. Tough call. This is what prompted then-President Barack Obama to refer to Ye as a jackass. Well, <laughs> that guy's a jackass. You know, that President Obama's got a real way with words sometimes. Mm -hmm. He's very eloquent. I am certain that I'm leaving a good bit of trashiness out because by now we're into the Twitter age. But in the interest of getting to it, we're going to park Ye at the Trashy Divorces Depot, where he will undoubtedly rush the tracks to rant about something and move on to meet his ex-ish wife, Kim Kardashian. Again, I'm just going to bullet point some of this since many of you will have already heard it. Or just know it from living in the world in the 21st century. Kimberly Kardashian, second child of Robert and Chris Kardashian, Libra. Born October 21, 1980. Caitlyn Jenner was her step-parent from 1991 to 2015. Had a first marriage at age 19 when she tried ecstasy for the first time with her boyfriend and they got hitched. Whoops. Then two years later, in 2002, she tried ecstasy again and wouldn't you know it, made a sex tape that would make her incredibly famous later in the decade. Kim, stop taking ecstasy. I mean. I mean. <laughs> she was a child of Los Angeles, for sure, with famous friends and aspirations of celebrity for herself. Her friend Paris Hilton, in particular, seemed like someone to hit herself to. And when Paris and Nicole Richie launched a reality show called The Simple Life in 2003, Kim did her best to elbow her way on screen. Apparently, she had been trying to play stories about herself in tabloids, but they kept passing because she wasn't well-known enough. So Paris did let her be in the show for like 60 or 90 seconds in one episode. But at that point, she could start pitching items about herself as Kim Kardashian from TV's The Simple Life. Television star. And right. It was, it was off to the races. She was also spotted on a date, maybe, with Nick Lachey right after he and Jessica Simpson broke up. And, like, you will find this hard to believe, but paparazzi found them out in the wild. What luck. So strange. strange. Listen, I think that Kim circa the year 2000 would have been thrilled to know that she would become Kim circa 2015 or so, right? Like, that was the dream. That was the dream. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then there was a bunch of litigation about the sex tape, a $5 million settlement, Bob's Your Uncle, and then Keeping Up with the Kardashians premiered on October 14th, 2007. There was a 72-day-long marriage to a basketball player in 2011, Bob once again is your uncle, and then in 2012, she and Ye were suddenly dating. Even in 2012, MTV.com writer Christina Garibaldi opened her piece about an Oprah interview with the Kardashian family where 
Kim was asked and discussed this new relationship by noting, quote, the two have been parading around Paris, proving along the way that their relationship is not a publicity stunt. That 72-day wedding was widely viewed as a publicity stunt. Many things associated with both Ye and, well, all of the Kardashian clan, really, are viewed as publicity stunts. It's odd when that word continues to come up with this either is or isn't a publicity stunt. Let's make it clear. Let let us tell you. Right. When we talked about yeah. Pete Davidson earlier this season, like I wasn't sure if they were actually dating or if they were dating for the new Kardashian reality thing. Coming out. Exactly. It's just, it's never quite clear. I feel, I feel much more, having written this, I feel much more that what is happening that Kim has a much more substantial life now than she did in years past. I agree with that. We will get to all of that. But yeah, it is always a question with, or has been, what's real and what's just out there making sure your name's in the headlines. Lately though, we've crossed a little bit different of a line where this is no longer I actually, I think we, I think we crossed that line a few years ago and we will, we will get there. Alicia, do you remember when Ye was selling merchandise with the Confederate flag on it back in 2013 during his Yeezus tour? Oh my God, no. Yeah, that happened. He is always chasing headlines. It was super controversial. He was photographed wearing, you know, a big puffy jacket like he likes with a big Confederate flag patch on it. No, no, Said, said no, he no. had reclaimed that flag for himself. Oh, anyway, always chasing headlines. He and Kim married in Italy. In May of 2014, with Ye taking a few shots at the media in his wedding speech and referring to his new wife as, quote, the ideal celebrity. What? 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 And, quote, the ideal art. What? The ideal celebrity. And the ideal art? That's more disturbing. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with that. Their so eldest... You've begun just putting her on a pedestal. So how's that going to go? Yeah. Again... Artist and critic all rolled into one. Their eldest child was in attendance, having been born in June 2013, and three more babies would follow in 2015, 2018, and 2019. We do not name kids on the show, although they are like increasingly becoming little baby celebrities because of their parents and this dispute. In 2015, Ye once again stepped into someone else's awards show. When he walked on stage while Beck accepted the Album of the Year award at the Grammys, but this time he did not say anything. So it certainly seemed like it was a, a joke. He was making fun of himself, which would be a nice departure. He just walked up, up on the stage to loom, to and then, lurk. And then walked off. Okay. But it was not actually all the way a joke. After the ceremony, Ye told E, I don't even know what Beck said. I just know that the Grammys, if they want real artists to keep coming back, they need to stop playing with us. We aren't going to play with them no more. Flawless, Beyonce's video. And Beck needs to respect artistry. He should have given his award to Beyonce. Oh my God. Very focused. This did not create a beef. However, when Us Weekly asked Beck about the incident, he said, I was just so excited he was coming up. He deserves to be on stage as much as anybody how many great records has he put out in the last five years, right? Asked about Ye's Beyonce comments. And uh, Beyonce, you might want to consider a TRO at this point, a temporary restraining order. Beck said, absolutely. I thought she was going to win. Come on. She's Beyonce. Right? So like everyone in the world has a better sense of humor about all of this stuff than the subject of this week's story. 
Something much more significant happened the following year. In 2016, Kim reported that five individuals dressed as French cops came into the apartment where she was staying in Paris, held a gun to her head, bound and gagged her, and stole $10 million worth of jewelry. Yeah, this was terrible. It was, but once again, many were left to wonder whether Kim Kardashian had actually been the victim of a crime or whether this was another publicity stunt. Right. I will say time has given us the answer. French police arrested a bunch of suspects, five of whom are men aged 60 to 72. They are dubbed the Grandpa Robbers in oh the French God, press. Oh my God, you're kidding. I'm not. The Grandpa Gang? The Grandpa Gang. Uh, one of whom, 68-year-old Eunice Abbas, published a book in 2021 titled I Kidnapped Kim Kardashian, where he like lays it all out. He believes that old age and ill health will keep him out of prison or limit his time in prison, that a French jury would not possibly punish him too much. He spent his life in and out of prison. So apparently publicity seeking is contagious. Wow. Yeah, I have always had a question mark about that But it incident. was a gang of grandpas. It was a gang of grandpas. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So Ye left his tour right away to go to Paris and be with Kim when this happened. And after he went back out on the road that November, he ended a show in Sacramento after just 30 minutes, three songs, but a bunch of really weird tangents about like, I don't know. He said that Obama was trying too hard to be perfect and he just needed to be allowed to scream he said, quote, this St. Pablo tour is the most relevant thing happening. If your old ass keeps following old models, you'll be Hillary Clinton. He implied that Jay-Z had dispatched killers to oh, take him out. Don't what? send your killers at my head. Is it because I just keep talking about your wife? Well, and he said that Beyonce was being too competitive <laughs> with him over an awards nomination and that winning isn't everything. Yay! Who keeps interrupting other people's... About winning being everything. Wow! Beyonce! Restraining order. Does he Just... hear himself? Well, no. No. Yeah. He canceled the next night's show entirely. Two days later, there was an altercation at his personal trainer's home okay. while Ye was there. Police and paramedics spent two hours persuading him to check himself into a hospital where he was committed because he was experiencing hallucinations <sighs> and paranoia. Wow. He was hospitalized for about a week, and the remaining tour dates were all canceled. At the time, there was speculation that stress from that Paris robbery may have played a role, and that really could be, like, that that could be a breaking point for him. But it is from this incident that he was ultimately diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So clearly, you know, things had been Thing, building things were for, happening. for some right. time. Yeah. So friends, things got weird with Kim and Ye during the Trump years. There was Ye's embrace of the new president, who, also being a massive attention seeker, embraced him right back. This created an entry point for Kim, who does actually have personal politics and policy goals that she took the opportunity to work on, and she deserves some credit for getting a criminal justice reform package passed into law in 2018. She Absolutely. Lobbied, lobbied the White House and kept their attention focused on it. The same year... Ye went on a bit of a ramble about how 400 years of slavery in America was basically a choice that enslaved people had made. Or yeah, had... I don't think that's true. Yeah, at least that's how it sounded. Mm. Whatever it was he was trying to get across, it, it landed with a thud. And this was, according to Us Weekly, a very low moment in the marriage. The magazine quoted a source saying they went through a really rough patch in the aftermath of that. Kim was completely mortified by Kanye's ridiculous and outrageous comments. It took a lot for them to move past it. Well, because she's fought so hard 
to bring the Armenian genocide to light. Yes, agree. She's she's transitioning into being an activist and and lawyer, and I'm here for it. I feel like this is where you can start to really see the breakdown of the marriage. She is learning the ins and outs of important legislation, how to lobby and, you know, let's face it, influence peddling in D.C. And Kanye was out there being nonsensical and would later reveal that he had stopped taking medication for bipolar for the sake of his music. Oh, you can't do that, man. It was during Ye's 2000 vanity campaign for president that apparently nails were hammered into the coffin of the marriage. At his first political rally ever in July of 2020, Ye revealed to the crowd as part of some anti-abortion shtick he was trying out that he had wanted Kim to terminate their first pregnancy. Quote, even if my wife were to divorce me after this speech, she brought our child into the world even when I didn't want to. She stood up and she protected that child. Holy shit, yay. Your kids are going to have the internet too. (sighs) Nothing (sighs) happened fast, but during the fall of 2020, there were signs of these two falling apart. Do you have words? I did not know that story. That one missed my headline. This was apparently when Kim was just like, he also has a Wyoming ranch and he thought that the family would move to that full time and that would be home base. And Kim was like that. That's not really my thing. I'm a California girl living in a California world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in the fall, Kim took a trip to an Island. This was this made a lot of news because it was COVID pre-vaccine. Anyway, to celebrate her 40th birthday, Ye did not appear in any of the photos that she and her various guests were posting as they do until quite late in the game. Apparently he missed her birthday party proper and rumors of the impending split persisted across the holidays. In February 2021, news finally broke that Kim Ye were divorcing. It was clearly not a clean break. There was the Met Gala, where they showed up together looking like Dementors. There's a big profile of Kim coming out in a major magazine. Kim has said that she was initially not into... The Dementor look? The Dementor look. The uh, fashion house wanted to prove that her silhouette was just recognizable. Like, the face wasn't even needed. Everyone in the world knew it was Kim Kardashian, even in the mask. Then there was his summer holdup in Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, the, the Phantom, Phantom of, of the... Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh... Often wearing stockings over his face, which is a thing, while he tried to finish up his album Donda, named for his mother, who passed away in 2007. Then there were the listening parties, and for a minute, no one was sure whether Donda would actually be released, or if it was just going to be heard as a series of listening parties. It was, there were some real questions. Huzzah! For one of these, I believe in Chicago, Kim was there in a bridal gown, and it also was not clear that they had not remarried, possibly there at the event itself, in front of, I think it was Soldier Field. <laughs> like, it was a very strange summer. All the while, Ye was often asserting on podcasts and on stage that he wanted to keep his family together, put his family back together. But he was also dating pretty rigorously. There was Russian model Irina Shayk, which maybe lasted to about August. Sure. Then he was dating a model named Venetria. Then, you know, most most recently there's Julia Fox. He's, I think, now with someone who is 
just being referred to as a Kim lookalike. On October 9th of last fall, Kim Kardashian hosted Saturday Night Live. And in one skit, she shared a kiss with funny man Pete Davidson, which set more than their tongues a wagon. And sure enough, the next month they acknowledged that they were a couple. Okay, how do you think that the famously level-headed and gracious yay took the news that his ex was moving on, Alicia? Yeah, it wasn't in any good way. Well, he told a podcast on November 5th, SNL making my wife say I divorced him on TV because they just wanted to get that bar off and I ain't never seen the papers. We're not even divorced. That ain't no joke to me. My kids want their parents to stay together. I want us to be together. Yeah, his, like, I haven't even seen papers. By this point, Kim had paid Ye $23 million to buy him out of the home they shared. It's really a more of a compound. So there was $20 million for his stake. Uh, and then there was $3 million for various property in the home. So, of course, he has seen papers. He's aware. He's aware. Yeah. He proceeded to make a number of public statements about wanting Kim back, including casting the situation as part of the eternal supernatural war between the forces of heaven and hell. Just a frightening level of narcissism and self-aggrandizement there. Like, Satan wants to keep us apart and God wants us to get back together. No, sometimes relationships just don't work out. Yeah. In mid-December, Kim had finally had enough of this and asked a judge to bifurcate the divorce, effectively saying, like, there are issues outstanding in this matter and they will be heard separately, but the marriage itself is terminated. Again, the story is quickly, rapidly developing. So just yesterday, we learned that Kim had basically pocketed the relevant papers for this at the time and only served yay notice of the bifurcation on Monday Oh, after his weekend blow up because we learned that he now has objected on Wednesday. He went to his people went to court to object to the bifurcation on a bunch of grounds that don't sound like they're going anywhere. But I was like, it's been 60 some odd days since that, that usually you have a 30 day response window, but it turns out she never served him. She's just had the option in her pocket. So It looks like she may be legally single as soon as next month. Good for her. Mm -hmm. So Ye's reaction in December to the bifurcation ask, because this was in the papers, was to purchase a modest single-story ranch across the street from the lavish compound where he used to live. Yeah, we did a little digging on this. Let's go ahead and just visually set the stage for y'all. His front yard oversees the entire backyard of... His former home, yeah. Kim's current home and compound. Right. We we believe the new house kind of is elevated a Slightly bit over raised. The it's topography. He's a stalker. He's stalking the home. <sighs> that That is the appearance. That is the appearance. Like, if they were on good terms, if they were working productively, if they were co-parenting great, then buying a house next door is awesome. Woo! That's Adele and her ex-husband. We live across the street from each other and we get along and we're here to raise our kid and we've yep. got the best interests out for each other right. and our children. And our children. That is not apparently what's happening here. So yes, I think a rational observer would describe this as stalking. And Ye's behaviors and propensity for conflict were only escalating at that time. One of their kids had a birthday in January, and I think on the Kardashian side, the idea was they would have an early-in-the-day party 
And then dad, yay, would have a later in the day party with the child, which is like a normal thing that divorced people do when they're having conflict. Sure. Yay didn't get this memo or chose not to read this memo or something. Ignored the memo. And ended up live streaming to millions of people on Instagram as he was driving his search for his children's party, that he had been in touch with all these people and Team Kardashian and nobody would give him the address. And this is really scary stuff. Yes. You are just telling randos to be on the lookout for your children. You just put millions of people on blast for your kids. Another time in January, he apparently showed up at Kim's house unannounced to see the kids. And when her security denied him entry, he again took to social claiming that Kim was keeping him from his kids. Like That's not true. Did you make arrangements to go? Did you have an agreement in place? Yeah. You don't live you, there anymore. Uh, she has her own life. I mean, ugh. it is dangerous stuff. This is not ranting to your friends about your shitty ex keeping you from your kids. Your friends, assuming you've made good ones, know when you're full of shit and likely know your ex and your kids too. Right. They know the shit you're full of. This is really different. Yes. Kanye West has 14.2 million Instagram followers right now. Like, don't do this. Do not put your kids in their attention sphere. This is awful. You have no idea who's watching. It It is dangerous. Yes, it is dangerous, which we have visual evidence that his ex-ish wife has told him. Now we're finally getting to the current month. I know, I know. And the fire hose of increasingly scary conduct that has been yay. Lately, the couple's eldest child has been TikToking, as kids do, often with her mother. I mean, it's a shared account with her mother. And the guy who was live streaming his hot pursuit of a children's birthday party apparently does not like this. He posted on Instagram asking internet randos how he should deal with this. So Kim posted a lengthy and mature response that notes that she had hoped for a healthy and supportive co-parenting situation and that Ye's constant public attacks are making that extremely difficult. I have so much sympathy. Let's really zero in on the last week or so. I know this has gone long, but it this, this story is very disturbing. So last Saturday, February 12th, Ye posted to Instagram that a former collaborator of his would not appear on Donda 2, which he's working on now, because that person is friends with you-know-who, Pete Davidson. The next day, he shared a screenshot of- We're calling him you-know-who, like Voldemort Voldemort, now? Voldemort, yes. Well, we're also calling him Skeet. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) God. The next day, he shared a screenshot of a text from what, you know, was allegedly Pete Davidson that read, I'd never get in the way of your children. That's a promise. How you guys go about raising your kids is your business and not mine. I do hope one day I can meet them and we can all be friends. Yay, helpfully captioned this with an all caps, No, you will never meet my children! Oh, no. Which is in no way up to you, dude. Not even a little bit. Your children will one day meet a man in Kim's life. That's going to happen. When and if Kim decides that is going to happen. On Monday, Valentine's Day, he posted a picture of a black pickup truck, possibly in front of Kim's home. Loaded with roses with letters on it that read, again in all caps, My vision is crystal clear with K's on crystal and clear KK Kim Kardashian. Later, he thanked fans on Insta for supporting his family 
and urged them again in all caps. No. If you see Skeet in real life, scream at the looser at the top of your lungs and say Kim Ye forever. So that's cool. You said looser on purpose because that's the way it was spelled? Yes. Fantastic. On Monday, Ye was also sharing screenshots of texts from Kim asking him to knock it off, warning him that someone could take him seriously and that if Pete got hurt, it would be his fault. Yes, that's, that is all true. It's, it's all but, terrible. But he, then he's posting these. She's like, why won't you keep our conversations private? And then he's gaslighting. You're my favorite person. Why wouldn't I tell the world I'm your number one fan? I got to... Oh, it's miserable. His team seems to have stepped in at some point around here, posting a statement that read as an apology, but to his followers, not to the people that he's actually harassing and threatening. Was this the statement that was in no caps, everything perfectly spelled wonderful? Yes. yes. It said that Very he was calm. taking accountability to be a good leader sure. is to be a good listener. That's right. That's right. Which I'm pretty sure like his people were like, please listen to us. That is how you lead best. If you listen to people who know that you sound like you're stalking your ex. I mean, a hundred bucks. He didn't write that statement. No, but. he he didn't. I I feel confident he did not. The worst of what had been posted was deleted, uh, although within hours he was back to it. So, And still, I mean, yesterday he was posting about Kim's mom's boyfriend, like alleging that, right, he's just, he's he continues to just. But then he wiped his whole Instagram feed. He wiped all of his posts Wednesday? Earlier Maybe, this week. There's, yeah, he's. Anyway. Who are you trying to write this story this week? Every time you were like, Taza, I have the story. You're like. Damn it. <laughs> That's a, This story is playing out in real time right now, and it is entirely possible that there will be subsequent rounds of provocative acts that are front and center before we even post this at midnight tonight. Trash pandas have been all over this in our Facebook group. Understandably so. Ye's behavior is abusive, threatening, and it has triggered many people far and wide. This is very, very upsetting. Whether you have tried to extract yourself from this kind of relationship, like some of us have, or you have tried to give an assist to a friend or a loved one in the same kind of situation, yeah, it is all very upsetting. Yeah, I mean, it's fortunate that Kim has as much money as she has, because obviously she has security, she has a, a gate, she, you know... She has a lot going for her that normal people in this situation do not. On the opposite side of that, Kanye has plenty of money in the bank. It's true. Has lots of access to lots of different avenues for some assistance and some support during a time that seems pretty rough for him. Yeah, he continually insists that he is fighting for his family. And I, I think there are a lot of men in his life who hear that and think, yes, that is a noble, right? That's a slogan I can get behind, fighting for your family. You are fighting your family. Families look all kinds of ways these days. Many of them are divorced parents raising children. That is fine. This is this ain't it. Your family can look whatever way you want your family to look. Yeah. And whatever way Kim wants, you like, you don't own her. Yeah. This is... This is not good. I don't have trash cans. This is a dangerous situation. Just best wishes for all involved. I hope that Ye gets the help that he needs to move past his hurt. 
And I hope that Kim and his children remain safe. Get the protection they need to get through it all mm-hmm. safely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Anyway. Hey, comedy podcast. Woo. No, not comedy. Not comedy. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's just not funny. No, this is a dangerous situation. I mean, a lot of us understand it. Again, listeners have had a lot of feelings about it. Correct feelings. Thank you for the deep dive, the ever-changing deep dive of this story. Well done, Stacy. Well done. Thanks. This week, we got all kinds of good things going on on Patreon. If you're looking for something a little bit not quite that uh, heavy... <laughs> You can always get some bonus trash candy over there at bit.ly slash trash candy. Gosh, our little podcast production business this month is Into the Love. Done and Done is back. Right. With a whole new season. We got Notorious that launched. If you are looking for 10 minutes of just sunshine in your podcast listening day. Seems like a good time for some sunshine. I know. Might be nice to mention Love Letters 2 is our daily 10-minute little podcast. We're in our season of Muses and Makers this month, wrapping that up next week for you. And it's really quite delightful if you want to scrub your ears out after that episode. That seems like a a good reaction, (laughs) to be honest. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're Mm going to be back on Wednesday with a whole new Trashy Breakups. We got another one people have wanted for a long time. Stacey, you're bringing us this week. Yep, that's true. I know you're going to knock that out of the park. (laughs) Oh, that's, I got, I got. See? Uh Uh Uh-huh. There Uh you go. There's my little hint for you. Sure, (laughs) sure. Until we see you again on Wednesday, have a tremendous week, friends. And keep those hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Bye, y'all. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.